But on that note, before I bring the word today, I'm going to invite Rick up because we got a great testimony. Rick, can you come up and tell us what the Lord has done for you uh, regarding your, your shoulder? That's in a sling, but we got a good story even though it's in a sling. Is this hot? There we go. Awesome. Hey. Hey, Amen. I'm uh, honored to be here and I'm blessed to be here. It's been... Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since, uh, actually several weeks since uh, I wanted to come up and give my testimony. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, once the uh, enemy knows that you're about to give your testimony, um, he comes at you with everything he can. Yeah. So uh, I hold, was... Hold the mic just a little closer. A little bit like that? No, turn it down that way. Yeah, down. keep it right like an ice yeah. cream cone. Don't lick it, cone. but it's like... No, I'm not going to lick it. I'm not going <laughs> to lick okay. it. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, so long story short, the uh, enemy came and uh, presented with... Uh, all kinds of infections in my body um, within the last couple of weeks, and I was hospitalized for a few days to put rainbow antibiotics through me, um, and I got better. I started getting better. They said, you can go home, and then Pastor John said, hey, can you come and give your testimony? Yeah. Absolutely. So here I am. Uh, my shoulder was operated on the first week of December. They said I had a severe rotator cuff injury with bicep tendon um, basically displacement. So it was half of my bicep tendon was, was ripped off. The uh, supraspinatus tendon on my shoulder was completely ripped off. So the uh, uh, surgeon came in before the surgery, and he goes, hey, you know, I'm going to be really, really careful. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to not poke around too much because I don't want to do a lot of damage. Um, I said, okay, so what, where are we going to go with this? He goes, um, it's going to be a tough surgery. We're talking about a seven-month or longer recovery time. So we got back, and um, he said, is there anything you'd like to say before we do the surgery? I said, absolutely. I said, can I pray? Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, you can pray. Way to go, man. So, <laughs> so, so I, prayed, I prayed with the, uh, the group, the, uh, the surgery group that was there. And, uh, they, of course, they put me under, you know, and that was that. I woke up in a recovery thinking it was a three-hour surgery. My surgeon came in, and he said, Rick, he goes, it was an hour surgery. He said, I got in there with my scope. He said, I started looking around. The bicep tendon was healed. Yeah. The, the supraspinatus tendon was in the process of healing, which is incredible because yeah. the supraspinatus tendon does not automatically attach to the humerus. It can't do it. Yeah. And he goes, it appears that it was healing. So we got in there, threw some sutures through it, and um, he goes, I think that's going to be good enough. I went back to him about a week and a half later, not feeling good. And he goes, well, the, he did an ultrasound on my shoulder, and he goes, the, the, the surgery didn't take. He goes, the sutures aren't holding. And I said, well, I'm going to leave it in God's hand. I said, I'm asking for a complete healing. And I said, the church prayed for me, and I said, I feel that I'm going to be healed from this. So... I haven't gone back to him. I'm supposed to go back at the uh, end of this month. And all that being said, I've been feeling God, been healing my shoulder and my body now yeah. for a couple of weeks. So now, so the sutures, they had issue with that, but the, uh, but, but the tendon or that was holding your bicep, that was completely healed. Completely healed. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that awesome? And, and, <laughs> and, and the cool thing about it was it was so neat because uh, the surgeon, he was like, well, you know, I couldn't believe it was actually what I was seeing. So I had the MRI pulled up and I was looking at the images, but it yeah. wasn't what your shoulder was appearing. He said, yeah. 
completely two different animals. Yeah. So I said, I was yeah. God, you know, 100%. Man, that is awesome, so, man. So what's really cool about it was I was able to plant a seed because before yeah. that, he did not have a bedside manner at all. He was very, you know, as a matter of fact. But then after that, he became a warm, warmed and, uh, you know, uh, hopefully I planted a seed in him. And, and I don't know his, his spiritual belief. It's not mine to know. You know, it's his. And I'm just leaving it in God's hand. Now, I will tell you this, that, you know, I have this on. This sling on. I don't need it on. Here. Uh, all right. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. Amen. Yeah. Put that right over there, man. Awesome. Yeah. I have my, my wallet in my left side because I couldn't put it in my right side. So I put it in my right Ooh. side. All right. I have full motion of all the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. But God is healing me. Awesome. Thank you, Rick. Awesome, man. Awesome. You know, for years, for years we had to, let's give God praise again. Come on, Jesus, thank you. Keep doing those miracles, Lord. Amen. I know, uh, Gary, you prayed for Rick, and Josh, you prayed for Rick, and a couple others laid hands on him, and, and uh, we have been praying for these kind of breakthrough miracles like we used to have on a consistent basis here at the gathering place. We had a pair of crutches, just like his sling now is the example. We had a pair of crutches. We had a teenager who was on a football team that came and had a broken bone out for the season, done. Came up. When we call you up for prayer teams at the end, we have prayer teams up here that are ready to pray for you. And this teenager came up on his crutches. They prayed for him. He was completely healed. And we had his crutches up uh, and on display for years. And he went back playing football for the rest of the season. This is so easy for Jesus to heal. It's our job to believe. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right, but what is more important to Jesus than healing is salvation. Getting healing is for this side of heaven. We don't need healing once we get into heaven. Because all sickness, all pain, all suffering, all tears, all sorrow is over. Praise God. On this side, we need healing. But more important than healing is salvation. Because you get healed and you go to hell, what good is that? Right? So we are in a series, None Too Far. We're dealing with attitude and we're dealing with aptitude. Attitude is the way you see people, think about people, feel about people. Because that is a barrier to bringing Jesus to somebody. Aptitude is your ability to effectively communicate the gospel message. Which is what our 401 class is that uh, Stephanie's going to be doing. Today we have a one-on-one class, which is getting to know the gathering place. If you have not yet gone through our basic getting to know the gathering place, it's right after church today, uh, here on the grounds, we're serving lunch, if you're not fasting. And, um, and so you need to go through that if you haven't gone through that yet. But salvation is primary. And here's a fact. Jesus is after everybody. There's not one person on the planet that's not on his radar. We need to see through his eyes to the human race. There are people that irritate you, that you don't like, maybe that you hate, you never want to see again, maybe you don't even want to see him in heaven. Jesus 
loves them, died for them, and wants them. And you and I, as you saw last week, if you didn't uh, hear the message or watch it, you are the link between Jesus and that individual. So you've got to break down your prejudice and your hatred and your, uh, uh, your dislike, your inhibitions, not being, what, all that's got to go away for Jesus to be able to use you to reach whoever he wants to reach. Can I hear an amen? amen. This is what the Bible says, 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, this means that contrary to man's perspective, everybody say contrary, contrary. to my perspective. my perspective. Yeah. This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise of return. In other words, in the first century, there were mockers. Ah, you Christians say that Jesus is going to return again. It's been 2,000 years. But this says, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience toward you because he does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The only reason, the only reason, the only reason Jesus has not returned yet is because he wants to give people more opportunity and more time to give their life to him so they can spend an eternity with him. But he needs you and I, the church, to reach them. He's reaching them through us. Now, when I was raised, I thought Jesus was after me. I thought God was after me to bust me. I didn't know he was after me to bless me. Jesus is not here to condemn or to judge anybody. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Hello, church? God did not send his church into the world to condemn the world. God did not send Christians into the workplace, into school, into your family members to condemn them, but that through Jesus, they might be saved. Can I hear more than two amens on that? Come on. I'll start all over if you don't start amening me because I'm preaching good this morning. Yeah, spirit, soul, body. Amen. But if your body gets healed, but your spirit doesn't get healed, that's what I'm talking about. All right, you'll preach next week. You stop. All right. And we need to we need to expand our horizons. We need to expand our vision of who Jesus is after. Today, I want to talk to you about Jesus is after the up and outer and the down and outer. So often we think Jesus is for the poor. Jesus is for the broken. Jesus is for the lost. Jesus is for the lonely. Jesus is for the empty. Well, guess what? We're all of those things. Everybody is an outer. Up and outers and down and outers. It's just a whole lot easier to walk with Jesus dealing with your issues than without him. Not to mention eternity. People who seem to have it all together, they have wealth, they have health, they have position, they have influence, or the person who's living on the street, the poor, the, the widow, the, the bankrupt, everyone's the same. I like Brian Duncan's song from years ago, if you don't know who he is, that dates me, but he said, I've been all over the world and the heart's the same, it's just a different face. You see, everybody, no matter what station in life you are in, we all deal with these six things. We deal with trust, tolerance, truth, brokenness, aloneness, and emptiness. 
We all deal with them in different measures. Will you say these out loud with me? Trust, tolerance, truth, brokenness, aloneness, and emptiness. I'll do a deep dive on those the next time I preach, uh, which will be in a few weeks because Mark's going to preach, Josh is going to preach, and Dennis is going to preach the next three Sundays in this None Too Far series. And one of the reasons I, uh, well, besides the fact they're on the preaching team, I want uh, Mark and Dennis to give their testimony when they preach. Because if anybody was too far, it was these two. When you hear their story, it will expand your belief that anybody can get saved. Amen? Let's say these out loud again. Trust, tolerance, truth, brokenness, aloneness, and emptiness. Everybody's dealing with it. I don't care if you're rich or you're poor, black, white, green, yellow, purple, male, female, or something else. It doesn't matter. You're dealing with these on a certain measure. This next generation in particular has serious trust issues and they come by it honestly because our world is broken. Tolerance. Do you accept me just the way I am? Or do I have to clean myself up before you'll accept me? Truth. What is truth? Who has the truth? Truth is relative. I have my truth, you have your truth. These are tough issues. You can't just say because the Bible says anymore. We're like, well, I don't believe the Bible. Brokenness. Everybody is broken. We all behave out of our brokenness because we live in a broken world and we're broken people. Aloneness. We live in the most isolated generation ever. Families have been um, uh, decentralized, businesses decentralized, social media, lockdowns. I mean, is, the isolation is creating massive depression, suicide ideation, actual suicides, high anxiety, a friend of mine wrote a book about the need for community, and he asked if my son could be in that book. My son, we adopted him out of a communist orphanage in Vietnam. He was, a, a, he was two pounds when he was born, a massive hemangium with tumor on his face. Uh, for a year and a half, they had him on two bottles of formula a day. At a year and a half old, you should be eating T-bone steaks by that time. He was about this big, and he had major control issues. They said he'll never be, he'll never be funny, have no sense of humor, no empathy. He won't he won't want physical touch. And he is like uber off opposite of all of those things. I mean, Jesus healed him. But one of the main ways he was healed is because we threw him into the mosh pit with our other five kids. And him just being in that environment, he grew up in a communist orphanages with hundreds of cribs, all just like butt to butt, nose to nose. And the only time he ever got picked up, I watched him do it. They just shove a bottle in the face and they don't even pay attention to the baby. And, the, and the, the, you know, the milk or the formula is going down his chest. And they don't even care. They get done with it and throw him back in the crib. And, you know, they, the feces in the crib. And, the, you know, I mean, he was just like in prison for the first year and a half of his life. It was community that healed him. We live in an isolated generation. And it's damaging to our mental, emotional health. And then emptiness. You can ring the bell, and you'll think that does it for you. Everybody sings your accolades. You get the money, you get the promotion, you get the girl, you get the guy, you get the house, you get the car, whatever it might be, and you're going to find that you still are empty in your soul. Jesus said, what is it? If you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. You see, those things don't touch your soul. Only God touches a human being in the depth of their soul. Whenever I lead somebody to Jesus, I ask them, after I get done praying, what do you feel? The same answer 
every time for 40 years. You guys know what it is? Peace. <laughs> Look at that. You guys know. Isn't that incredible that you all gave the exact same answer? He is the prince of peace. Jesus said, I give you a peace the world cannot give to you. It's his personal peace. Now, these things, these trust, tolerance, truth, brokenness, aloneness, and emptiness can keep people from Jesus, or they can draw people to Jesus if believers would be the bridge between these six things, trust, tolerance, truth, brokenness, aloneness, and emptiness. You meet somebody who has not yet come to Christ, and you discern what they're dealing with. Is it trust? Is it tolerance issues? Are you going to judge me? Is it truth? Are you going to like preach at me? Is it brokenness? Are you going to pretend like you're not broken and you're like trying to reach me, but you're up here and you're down there? I am superior because I am a Christian, so I am holy. But I'll come down to you. That's not going to work. That superior, self-righteous attitude is a massive turnoff, not only to the person you're trying to bring to Jesus, but to Jesus himself. The only people Jesus wasn't nice to were the religious people of his day. Yeah, it's true. He's the only one they rebu- he rebuked. Christians rebuke sinners. Jesus ate with them. We're going to see a couple examples of that. Somebody say, ouch, right now, or oh me, or, he's, or turn to the person and say, he's preaching to you right now. I have known many wealthy people, and I've been to the poorest parts of the planet and ate in huts with people that don't even know the cell phones and computers have even been invented yet. And I found that it's so true. The heart is the same. It's just a different face. Everybody deals with these issues. If we're going to participate in God's dream, we need to understand that everyone needs Jesus, and everyone is on Jesus' radar, and they need to be on ours, regardless of a person's socioeconomic, education, race, gender, history, morality, beliefs, or geographic location. We cannot allow anything to hinder us, stop us, dissuade us, or block us from reaching every single person with a hope of forgiveness through Jesus, not our pride, our arrogance, our fears, our prejudice, our comfort, our inconvenience, our indifference, our judgment, our culture, our race, or our politics. God forbid that we allow our political differences to be the wall that blocks us from sharing our faith with another human being. The truth is, you are not black first and then a Christian. You are not white first and then a Christian. You are not a Democrat first and then a Christian, a Republican first and then a Christian, an independent first and then a Christian, a banker and then a Christian, an addict and then a Christian, divorced and then a Christian, happily married and then a Christian, a man, a woman, and then a Christian. No. You and I that have come to Jesus are Christians first, and then we are whatever comes next. Because if that is not in your mentality, you will follow the path of your blackness, your whiteness, your richness, your poorness, your occupation, your, your male, your female. That's the path that you will follow. That's where your energies will go. But if you're a Christian first, you will follow him first. That's what your path will be. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, now, we're going to look at two examples from the Bible today from the first century. One is an up-and-outer, and one is a down-and-outer. First, let's look at the down-and-outer. The down-and-outer 
is the woman at the well. For those of you who don't know the story, it's John chapter 4. It's where Jesus goes and talks to this woman at a well. Now, Jesus was a Jewish man, and he is talking to a Samaritan woman. This is illegal, deplorable, unacceptable, disgusting to the mind of a Jew in the first century. And yet Jesus goes to talk to her because this woman had been married five times and she was currently living with a man who is not her husband. Now, in Jewish law, you're only allowed to be married three times. So she's beyond the pale. She's been married five times. And the Samaritans to the Jews at the time, when Jesus was Jewish and his first disciples were all Jewish, the Samaritans were dogs. They were polluted. They were uh, the lepers of the religious community. They would literally, I told you this last week, I'll say it again. If they're going from point A to point B and Samaria's in the middle, they'll take an extra day just to walk around so the, 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 the bottom, the soles of their shoes won't even touch the dirt of Samaria, let alone talk to a Samaritan. Now, this woman has been married five times, and so in our Western lens, we look at the East through the Western lens, they look through the West through the Eastern lens. We have to understand what it was like in the first century Middle East at that time. We think maybe she was a loose woman. We see her as some woman that slept around and she got married five times. But in that culture, women could not divorce men. Only men could divorce women. So the reality is she had been rejected and abandoned five times by a man. What issues do you think she was dealing with out of the six that I discussed? Truth, tolerance, trust, brokenness, aloneness, emptiness. I would think maybe all of them. And so I love the way the story is told in John chapter 4. But he, say it out loud, needed to go through Samaria. He didn't have any business in Samaria. Why did he need, Julia, why did he need to go through Samaria? To speak to her. How precious is our Savior? And he drug, you know, come follow me. They're like, whoa, yeah, we're following the Messiah to Samaria. <laughs> yeah, and that's what God will do to you. I remember my, my friend Joe Rhodes, he, was t- he invited me to go to the mission field. I was like, yeah, I'll go with you one day. You know, I'm going to send money. You know, that's my part. I'm just going to send money. And Joe's not like, you need to go. No, okay, I'll go with you someday. But, you know, we're giving a lot of money to the missionaries. No, you need to go, John. You need to get out there, get into the trenches, meet these people that Jesus is after. And I said, I'll go with you one day. And so I said it to him for five years. And finally I said, okay, the next time you go, I'll go. So then he calls me up. And he said, okay, you said the next time. I was like, yeah, but... But he wouldn't let me off the hook. So he pulled me out of my comfort zone and drug me to northern India. Oh my gosh, was that uncomfortable for me. It's not because, you know, the people group. It's just because it's a different culture. It was just so uncomfortable. I mean, I'm walking down the street with my interpreter and my, and my disciple. We're going into a village. And so one is interpreting for this Naga tribe, and the other one is the disciple. Where after somebody comes to Christ, then they will disciple them. So we had this system. And I'm walking down this dirt road going into a, into a village, and they grab my hand. Interlocked fingers. And I'm thinking, what? 
the H-E double hot stick, hot, uh, what is it? Uh, because the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me do that. It's going on right up in here. So I didn't really say anything. I'm like, okay, we're holding hands in public. This is very awkward. And then I saw, you know, guys sitting on each other's laps and guys, and I thought, okay. I didn't know if we were in Hillcrest or we're in India. I didn't know where we were. It was just, it was so foreign to me. And then I, then I realized it's just part of the culture. It, there's no sexual connotation to it whatsoever. It's just the way that they communicate with each other. That they love each other. And so finally, I, I, I was so uncomfortable just because it's not part of our culture. I was uncomfortable. And so I said to him one day, I said, hey, I just want you to know what this means in America. And he said, what? And I told him what it means in America if two guys are doing that. And he pulls his hand away from mine. I was like, thank God we don't have to do that anymore. And then, and then about a minute later, he slides his hand into my hand. And I thought, I guess this is the, what we're going to do for the next 10 days. However, it started breaking down my, uh, my, my reticence. It started breaking down my inhibitions. It, it actually, I'm sorry, it actually started becoming comfortable because it was part of their culture. I was, I was coming into their culture. Paul said, I've become all things to all people that some might be saved. Why did Jesus go to Samaria? Because he was going to tend to her brokenness. No Jew would ever do that. Jesus was changing the game. He was bringing the kingdom to everybody. Do you know that these disciples, after Jesus rose from the dead, appears to them after he rose from the dead, preaches to them for 40 days about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Luke, uh, Acts chapter 1. After 40 days that the resurrected Jesus is actually personally teaching them about the kingdom, they say, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> He said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses to uh, Judea, Samaria, what is it? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He told them that. It still took them seven years, I'll show you in just a minute, to still get that message. But I want to show you what he was bringing to her. And this is what he wants to bring to every person through us. It says in the same chapter 4 where he was with a woman at the well, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks of this living water I give them, they will never be thirsty again. Mm, what a promise. For when you drink the water I give to you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit flooding you with endless life. Do you know that word there that says uh, gushing fountain means uh, a springing well? It's a Greek word that literally means jumping up and down. And it's never used in the Bible for inanimate objects like water. It always refers to people jumping up and down. Which is why when you come to church, a charismatic church, a charis church, charismatic means charis, which is the anointing, the Holy Spirit. That's why you see people jumping around like this. Some people, like this. 
Those that don't jump don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm kidding. Stop. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There are people who jump up and down and speak in tongues and they, act, they live like the devil. And there are people that don't do all that kind of stuff and they're good, solid Christians. I'm kidding. All right. However, <laughs> the Holy Spirit jumps up and down. Okay, so she was confused why a Jew, a man, a single, alone, engaged in her conversation, alone, in Samaria, shock people with your reach. Shock people with your reach. Get beyond your reputation, your comfort, your indifference. Uh, Kumar was a guy uh, in India. He was a, the Brahmin, the highest class in India. And he had a visitation from Jesus. He was born again. So he goes preaching the gospel. And he walked into, he knocked on the door of the lowest class in India, knocked on the front door. And she didn't know that he was Brahmin. She invited him in. He wanted a cup of water. And then when he told her her name, told her his name, she started shaking. She was like, what are you doing in my house? The highest class in India. Going into the lowest class. Never done before. You don't do that. But he led her to Jesus and that whole village got saved. That's like Jesus coming down to us. So who do we think we are? <laughs> Don't be intimidated by the up and outers or repelled by the down and outers. Jesus wants them all. And drag your friends with you. Like Joe dragged me to India. Think about these guys. They go into Samaria because Jesus is going into Samaria. This is the first time they've ever gone there. I wish I could paint this picture for you, but on, in the Western Hemisphere, we don't get this like they would. They would never go into Samaria, but they have to because they're following Jesus. And he's talking to a woman by himself at a well in public. This is, this is scandalous. And they're a part of it. They're thinking, when is this going to be over? And their worst nightmare comes to pass. It goes from bad to worse to completely inconceivable. We're going to stay here for two days. That means they're sleeping in Samaritan's beds, eating Samaritan's food living in Samaritans' homes, talking to Samaritans. This is bad. <laughs> and do you know that after Jesus rose from the dead, it was seven years later that they still are not preaching the gospel to anybody but the Jews. Even after Jesus' example of going into Samaria staying there for two days, leading this woman to the Lord, to himself, and that whole town getting saved. They still didn't get it. See, I don't think just one sermon series is going to do it for you. God is going to have to move on all of our hearts to be the evangelists that he has called every one of us to be. It was seven years later, Peter's not sharing the gospel with the Jews yet. 
And yet an angel appears to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. An angel appears to this guy and says, go get Peter, a guy named Peter. He's staying in such and such house in such and such city. Go get him and bring him down here. And he's going to tell you what you need to hear. And so then at the same time, Peter's fasting and he was about to eat and a vision opens up and he sees these, these creepy four-footed unclean beasts coming down from the sky. And God says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I'm a Jew. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And God says, what God has cleansed, don't call unclean. Who God is after, don't say they're unreachable. And it happened three times, right? And so then, after the vision, there's a knock at the door. And the Holy Spirit says, uh, don't, don't be afraid. Go with them. So these Gentiles come into this Jewish home. And they eat, they stay the night, and they go down to this house. And all these Gentiles came. Cornelius called all of his friends and all of his neighbors together in this house. And Peter goes into a Gentile's house. Okay, it's still like in their minds... This is unacceptable. This is seven years after Jesus already died, rose from the dead, already spent three and a half years with him, living with these first disciples, going to Samaria, the Samaritan woman getting saved. It's, all that's already been done. He's preached to them and preached to them and preached to them. This is seven years after his resurrection. And Peter goes into a Gentile's home, starts preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls on all of them. They all start speaking in tongues. They all get saved. Okay, now we pick it up from there. In Acts chapter 11, soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. And they, and they said, and then Peter told them exactly what had happened. These guys are mad at Peter for going into a Gentile's home. Jesus has always had to wake and shake his people, the church, to be on his page. He's after everybody, everywhere, all the time. Newsflash, Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting, and began praising God, and they said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. And Jesus is like, oy vey, God... <laughs> Oh my goodness. Why did an angel appear to this Roman centurion and say, go get Peter and he'll tell you what you need to hear? Why didn't the angel just preach the gospel to Cornelius? What? Say it out loud, Christina. We are the ones called to preach the gospel, not angels. That's why in your circle of influence, Ryan... That's your mission field. That's your responsibility. Might not like it, but that doesn't matter. You're an ambassador of Christ where you work, where you live, your friend group. All of you guys. Ron, your neighborhood, your family members. Elvis. Dude, with a name like that, you could go worldwide. He said, to, he said to Zacchaeus, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them. 
doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Doubting nothing means conflict within oneself, hesitating and having misgivings. Let us not have conflict within ourselves, hesitate or have misgivings about sharing Jesus with anyone. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, and I'm going to close up with the up and outer. That's our down and outer story. If you know somebody that's down and out, you think they're too far, you think they're too uh, immoral or whatever it is, Jesus is after them and he's after them through you. The up and outer. These are the people who seem to have it all. They're well off, they're wealthy, they're beautiful, they're famous, they have position, they have power, they have prestige, and you're, you're intimidated by them. You don't think they would ever listen to Jesus. You can't judge a book by its cover. Remember, up and outers and down and outers and everybody in between, we all deal with the same issues. We have trust issues, brokenness issues, tolerance issues, aloneness issues, emptiness issues. Don't be fooled by the face. The heart is the same. I've known rich people who are the most giving people I've ever known. Don't ever look at rich people and judge them. That's just your jealousy. But there's been rich people who are greedy. There's righteous rich and there's unrighteous rich. Guess what? There's righteous poor and there's unrighteous poor. You're not holy just because you're poor. Some, people, some of the poor, poor people are some of the nastiest people I've ever met. And there's some rich people who are the nastiest people. And there's some rich people who are the most amazing people. And there's some poor people who are the most amazing people. We can't judge a book by its cover. Everybody needs the gospel. But this guy was greedy. He was a thief. In Luke chapter 19, 1 through 7, on Jesus' way to Jerusalem, he had to pass through Jericho. There it is again. He had to passed through Jericho. With the woman at the well, he needed to go through Samaria. Here, he had to go to Jericho. Why? Because there was a greedy, rich, thief, tax collector that needed him. There, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus who supervised all the tax collectors. He was a tax collector of all the tax collectors. And the tax collector in that time was not like the ones here. Back then, they would go in and they would just literally rob you. They give to Caesar what he needed, and they would just keep the rest of your stuff. They were hated. <laughs> he was very eager to see Jesus. He was a seeker. Nobody knew that. Nobody could see this rich man's heart that he also was dealing with aloneness and brokenness. And kept trying to get a look at him through the massive crowd. So Zacchaeus was a short man. Even short people need Jesus. Zacchaeus was a short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. He ran on ahead of everyone and climbed up a blossoming fig tree to get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. He was hungry for Jesus. Climbed up on a tree in public. Talk about, you know, I'll be yet more indignified than this, Josh, you were saying earlier. He's undignified, man. Here's this rich, wealthy, powerful, short man climbing up a tree just so he could get a glimpse of Jesus. But nobody, nobody would have wanted him to come to Jesus because they hated him. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. That literally means in the Greek, stay the night at your house. So he scurried down the tree and found himself face to face with Jesus. That's the goal right there. 
If we can just get people face to face with Jesus, it's, it's all over. You can just back away. That's what I say to people. If you've never given your life to Jesus yet, just crack your heart just a little bit. My prayer was, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you are. And then he proved himself to me to where I was completely convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. And now I've been walking with him for 40 years. As Jesus left to go to Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this. All the people have dinner, to, of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. Why would he do that? Why, Isabel, why would Jesus eat in the house of a crook? He needs Jesus too. She says, see, you can be so sweet and it's still lethal. He needs Jesus too, right? <laughs> it's, it's so true. Like, you can either be, he needs Jesus too, or he needs Jesus too. Both are the power of God to salvation to those who believe. Jesus knew his name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to a closer. I wanted to do the up and out or in down and out. I'm running out of time. But I want us to get this picture clear in our heads. Jesus knew his name without ever having met him. Do you know Jesus knows your name? And he loves you. He knows every person's name. Um, God uh, communicates with my wife in dreams primarily. That's how he communicates with her. She has dreams, names, places, phone numbers, addresses, and they seasons they come to pass. Like in detail, they come to pass. She has them journaled, right? So she is woken up by the Lord with someone's name she's never heard before. So she gets on Facebook and finds a person, finds two people with that name. I think one was in Britain and one was somewhere else on the other side of the world. So she contacts them, and she says, God woke me up speaking your name. One of them was going through cancer, and she was saying, where is God? Does God even see me? The other one, their child had died, and they said, I'm going through the worst valley of my life, and I just was wondering, I was asking, I just said, God, where are you? God is a personal God, and He is after every human being on the planet. Verse 8, Zacchaeus was amazed over his gracious visit to his home and joyfully welcomed Jesus. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, Half of all that I own I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay them back four times as much as I stole. Jesus said to him, your repentance shows today that life or salvation has come to you in your household and that you, a true son of Abraham, the son of man, has come to seek and save, seek and give life to those who are lost. How could Zacchaeus and the woman at the well, the up and outer and the down and outer, how could they both have a complete 180 with one exposure to Jesus. I'm asking you this question. How, how could that happen? That's radical. What do you think? You can reach anybody. We all have the same needs. But we meet people all the time. 
You share Christ with them. And it's, you got to share it, and then 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 share it. They spend one conversation, one afternoon, and he jumps out and says, if I've stolen from anybody, I, get, I, give him, I, get, I give him back fourfold. That's what the Bible says you're supposed to do if you steal. So he's going back to his roots of his identity as a child of God. I'll give back fourfold. If I've, if I've stolen, if, I, if I've robbed the poor, I'll give up the half of my kingdom, half of my wealth. That's amazing. That transformation of heart is amazing. It happened in one day. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus accepted them just as they were. He didn't agree with thievery and greediness and brokenness. He didn't agree with her living with a guy who wasn't her husband. He didn't agree with any of that. That's all against his holiness. It's all against the Bible. It's all against biblical truth. But the first thing he did was love them. Nobody else was doing that. And certainly not the religious people of the day. The Pharisees were just judging them. Wouldn't talk to them. Wouldn't let them touch them. They'd burn their clothes if they were touched by a sinner. And they, were, they hated Jesus because he, he went to their house and ate dinner with them. That's how they got saved in one day. They felt accepted and loved. Even though Jesus did not agree with their lifestyle, he embraced them as lost sheep and it melted their hearts and they turned their life over to him you can't judge a person by their cover and we have got to get out of our comfort zone my goal through this series is that you one will begin to make seeking and saving the lost your number one mission in life that is our assignment, people. It's not to accumulate all that we can get. The person with the most toys win. That's not our assignment. Secondly, is that our attitude toward the up and outer and down and outer is the same. The heart is the same. It's just a different face. And so having this on your mind all the time, wherever you are, you're always asking the Lord, can I reach this person? Is there, how can I build a bridge? So I'll tell you this last story, and I want, to, I want us to pray. So my staff and I, we took a retreat, a leadership retreat to an inn on Coronado Island. And uh, I had one of the rooms was a suite. We turned it into a boardroom so we could have our annual uh, you know, retreat. And the manager of the inn uh, came in to make sure everything was all right. Now, we're on Coronado, very wealthy, very ritzy place. This inn is a very high-end very nice place. She's a very successful, affluent, influential woman in Coronado. And, you know, and she walks into the room. When you, when you are looking at somebody not at, by their affluence or the, or the lack of affluence, their education or the lack of education, their skin color, their economic bracket, their history, you're not looking at them in that way. You're looking at them as a person who just might need Jesus. And so she could have come into the room and I could have just done business with her and then just let her walk out. But I took a risk. I took a chance. And I just started, a con- I can't remember how I started the conversation because there's so many different ways to start a conversation. That's what, she, that's what Stephanie's going to do is in gospel conversations, 
share about how to start a conversation with somebody. By the time she left that room, it was 15, 20 minutes. She had given her life to Jesus. And it, trans, it transformed. We've got two patty cakes in the house of God. Do you know, the Bible says that one, when one sinner repents, all of heaven just starts partying. This needs to be the thing we shout about the most, is someone coming to Christ. It completely transformed her life. Every year I go there for my retreat, my personal prayer retreat now, and she takes care of me over there. And she gives me a room, and we talk, and, and I talk about her life, and it's, it's just seeing how it's just a precious thing. But look, it was so easy. That one was so easy. Some were very hard and everything in between. But you never know when you're in front of a low-hanging fruit. Just shared the gospel with her. And she, it was so easy. I was like, did this actually happen? How many, of the, how many people are just ready like Zacchaeus or the woman at the well, which you would never think? You would never think if you were in their world that they were ready, but they got saved in one day, one encounter, one presentation. Let's be the link in the chain for Jesus. All right, let's all stand. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up front because I want to do two things today. One, I want them to lay hands on anybody who is sick. And uh, I'm going to ask Rick if you'll come up as well. Because you can come up as well, Jamie. Because when um, you get healed, Rick, and I want to say to everybody, when, when you get healed and the anointing, a miracle happens in you like it did in Rick's shoulder, then you can transfer that miracle to someone else. You lay hands on them, and the same anointing that happened in him can happen in you. That's what a testimony is. The word testimony literally means to do again. That's why we give testimonies, so that that faith that created that miracle the first time enters your heart, and you say, if he could get healed, I can get healed. And now you have the same faith to be healed. And I remember when Rick first came, you weren't quite sure you wanted us to pray for you, and we were going to pray for you. And yeah, remember? And you're like, well, I don't know. I want you to pray for him because this, that, and this, that. And then, you know, Gary and I prayed for him and it got worse. And so then he came back the next week. He said, okay, I'm ready. And, and then Josh prayed for him and he gets healed. So yeah. So you got to want to get healed. All right. So the first thing I want these guys to pray for anybody that needs a miracle in your physical body. The other thing is this, before they went out to preach, Jesus said, don't go anywhere to preach in my name until you have received the power from on high. That was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's different than you getting the Holy Spirit when you first get saved. The Holy Spirit goes inside of you, and the Holy Spirit's in you for you, but He comes upon you for others. That's when you start to prophesy, heal the sick, cast out demons, and hopefully even raise the dead if Jesus calls you to do that. But that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, Gary and Kathy, you guys are up here, and Dennis and April, you guys come up. If you need physical healing in your body, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, maybe you get your prayer language today where you speak in other tongues. Maybe you'll get a prophecy where the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you from the Lord in a prophetic way. Then as soon as we begin to worship, as we close out today, I'm going to ask you to just move out of your seats and come up front here. Don't be afraid. This is where it all happens, man. 
just bust a move, come up here and say, I got a need and you guys are going to agree with me. And Jesus just might heal your body. You might get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and start speaking in other tongues and experience God in a way you never have before. That's what this is for. I, I see church as the locker room at halftime. We come in here and we get what we need to get. We're not going to give anybody steroids, but we're going to get what you need to get. And then you go back out onto the playing field, okay? So if you have a need, maybe you're battling, I just got a word of knowledge. Somebody is battling depression in here today. It's, you're, it's suffocating you. I want to take authority. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over you foul, you filthy spirit of depression, oppressing a child of God. In the name of Jesus, we break your power right now and we cast you out of here. Lord, I pray you give that person a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. If that was you, I'm going to ask, as other people start moving right now, uh, out of your seats to come up here for prayer, just go ahead and move. If you have that need, come, just move and come on up. That person that was battling depression, come up here and get a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Don't stand, don't stand there and not move. Now's the moment. Amen? Jesus had people move all the time. He told the woman, you're blind, go to the pool and wash. Your arm's here, it's sick, reach it out. Jesus always had somebody do an action. It activates your faith. It activates the Holy Spirit. So, Josh, lead us in worship. And if you have a need, come on up and let's get praying for you. And then we're going to be out. I look to you. I want to be over. Give me this. To see things like you do. I look to you. You wear Give me wisdom. You know just what to do, yeah.
Wash my sins. 